Hello everybody, welcome back to Best Books Ever, I'm Tyler, and today we are continuing, or I guess finishing, uh, the third book, <laughs> I almost said the last book, <laughs> what a wild way for the series to end, uh, we just, just know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It just like doesn't wrap up the main, <laughs> the main conflict at all. Um, no, it's the third book, Titan's Curse by Rick Riordan, chapters eleven through twenty. Um, yeah, finishing it. We're done. A lot of good cliffhangers on this one. Um, a lot of things get moved along. A lot, uh, a lot darker. I feel like than the other two books so far, and I feel like we're just gonna get more into that. Um, you know, like that the you know different themes, and obviously like the impending <laughs> Titan God War that is on the horizon. But uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool stuff. So uh, as always, we will start with the end. Uh, pretty much the last, the very last thing that is said in this book is Grover just scrambling in with everyone. Everyone's talking, right? Chiron. I think Mister D is there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Percy, Annabeth, Thalia, uh, I think Clarice is also there, Clarice is about to say some stuff, and, uh, Grover runs in, and he says that he just heard Pan, um, all the coffee drinking actually worked, which is strange, um, and he says that I heard him in my head, I just heard him say, I await you, um, which I think should be huge, you know, I think that, uh, Percy, maybe others, but, you know, definitely Percy, because we're, from his perspective, um, you know, we heard Grover with the whole, like, coffee thing, like, yeah, go to New Mexico, drink a lot of coffee, and Percy, and I feel like us as well, we're like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the connection that you want it to be, you know, it's just a coincidence, I don't think it has anything to do with drinking coffee, but maybe it does, and maybe it's just another coincidence, maybe the the bigger actual reason is, you know, the, the, all the circumstances that are happening with the gods and everything right now. That's why maybe Pan is a little, is like reaching out for someone to do something about something, <laughs> you know, we're not quite sure yet. Um, but yeah, so he's there and, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that opens up the door for very similarly to the end of book one, it opens up the door for them to kind of write Grover out of the next book. Not completely, because I don't think, you know, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover, I think, will be uh, large parts of every book, even if I think Annabeth was kind of sidelined in this book, which is unfortunate. Uh, but the outcome of it all, I think, brings her character up a whole lot um, and also has a little bit of a, a twist at the end there. Um, that was very nice that we will talk about. But... Um, Sad to see him like that, but maybe next book will be when Grover actually does find Pan. That'd be huge, right? Probably the most important satyr <laughs> to ever exist, actually finding Pan. Um, and yeah, I hope he does, man. I'll be, I'll be happy for him if, if he does. Uh, but also, like, what does this mean, though? Like, I, I wait you. Like, Grover in particular? Um, that wasn't just like a like an email blast <laughs> to every satyr that, that exists. It was just Grover. Because if so, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. Grover specifically to get the call from Pan. Now, 
maybe it wasn't pan. You know, I feel like Grover's senses are very, very keen, right? So I don't think he'd be led astray. Maybe he was, maybe he is though. Um, it's possible. Um, could just be a huge coincidence, right? But I, you know, I, I hope it's him. Hope it's Pan. Hope he finds him. Hope everything's great. Uh, one, you know, we don't, we only see Percy's perspective, so we won't actually be able to see the journey because I don't imagine Percy will go along with him to do that. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Big, big stuff though for Grover coming up. Um, other than that, probably the other big thing that happened at the very end was the whole Nico stuff. Um, they were playing very coy with who Nico and Bianca's parent was, their, their, their godparent. Um, and now we finally know it was Hades. Now, a lot of things wrapping up with, or, or like not wrapping up, but like intertwined with the whole Nico Bianca thing. So we'll, we'll try to parse our way through them because I think, I, I, I feel like, well, Bianca not so much anymore, but Nico is going to play a big part because there are a lot of possible repercussions to his character. Um, but just what happened at the end, you know, Nico blaming Percy, Nico being very upset. I don't think that's wrong. You know, I mean, he is a child, um, you know, younger than Percy, I believe. I believe he's like 10 or so. And I think Bianca was like 12, maybe, maybe 14, maybe the same age as Percy. But I feel like they were, they were younger at, at least. Um, you know, so Nico being upset makes, makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, but him outbursts and him, him, him completely having that reaction to go as far as to, um, having like the skeletons around him and everything. I'm not sure how they got there, but they did go away because of him. Um, and then for him to run away, not sure where he's running off to. He is the son of Hades, so he could always go underground, possibly. Um, I don't know if he knows that though. Like, you know, because that was the whole thing with me where I feel like towards the end, you know, and we'll just, we'll just mention it right here. Bianca is dead, unfortunately. Uh, when I was reading it, though, I did have a quick little, like, theory of, like, maybe she's not dead. We didn't, like, find her body. Um, and her now being confirmed to be a daughter of Hades, it's possible that Hades took her at the last second, very similarly to how Hades took uh, Sally before Sally was killed by the Minotaur. Um, possible for that to happen. I'm not sure if gods can actually intervene in that way to be like, oh, well, I don't want my uh, child to die, so I'm going to save them. Although Hades, being the god of the underworld, maybe he just has that power. Maybe others would like to do what he does, but they can't because he's, he's him, right? He is very specifically the god of the underworld. Um, so maybe we will see Bianca again at some point. Um, but, but, but Nico, Nico's tough, you know, they even named, uh, you know, Rick named that last chapter. It was something like, I get, uh, I get an enemy for Christmas or something like that, you know? So I think Nico is now, you know, and now that again, that kind of spirals down, right? Where it's like, is he going to immediately side with Luke and Kronos and all them, you know, because again, him, him losing his sister, everything is just so intertwined because we've been talking about this prophecy forever, right? Like there's prophecy of Percy and Percy was really the only one, right? He was the only child of the big three that was known. So like, oh, when he turns 16, 
he is going to either save the world or destroy the world, right? Um, and then Thalia came in to go, no, Thalia's actually older than him, so she's what we have to worry about first. Over time, we see Thalia get out of it, and when, I'll go into deeper detail with all these things um, in a second. I'm just glossing over them real quick as it pertains to Nico uh, first. Um, then we have Thalia joining the hunt, so she's out. Percy, I just can't see Percy turning after this whole time. Again, I think it'd be strange for just talking about this as like a book series <laughs> for the author Rick to be like, yeah, Percy turns and Percy goes evil at the end. <laughs> you know, like I, I just think that would be weird. And also like his character as well. Like I just don't see Percy like, 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 why? You know what I mean? Like, the only way for that to happen would be if, you know, one of the gods, you know, actually, like, killed Sally or something. You know what I mean? Then, then I could be him being like, nah. You know, but, but even then, would he be like, all right, Kronos is my man now? <laughs> you know, like, I, I can't see that either. So, so now with that, it's like, oh, Nico. Bianca's dead, so it can't be her. Nico, though. Nico has some has some good stuff, right? Where um sister was killed. His his only family. I mean other than Hades, I guess, but his only family. So now he has resentment towards the gods and just this whole situation. He hits Percy, which is like Luke is like, Yeah, <laughs> come with me. We can destroy Percy together. So I think that's kind of where this book is leading. And again, I've I try to mention this every time I have read this book, or I've read this series, or at least up to up through book five, because I know there's more that's been written after the fact. Um, but you know, you know, just based on what is happening in this book, what has happened in this book, it seems like that's that's kind of the direction they're going. That, oh, no, oh, now there's another piece. Before it was like, all right, let's kind of focus on Percy because he's really the only one, and now there's Nico, and it's like, oh no. Now we have we have to find him. We have to. Um, so that's huge. That'll be big probably going into the next book, I, w I would imagine. Um, since I touched on it, we'll kind of ping pong on some of those other points. Bianca being dead, I already mentioned it, but um, that was big. I mean, was that, I'm trying to think back now, was that the first time we've seen someone die in this series? That's not like a monster, right? I think it might have been very sad, you know, with her being so new, um, you know, and then, like, the effect it had on people like Zoe, because Zoe was supposed to watch after her, um, then it, you know, hitting Nico, obviously, because if Bianca never died, Nico would have never had this outburst and possibly turning to the Chrono side, so, uh, terrible stuff, you know, and then speaking of deaths, we had a second one right after that, hit harder, we had Zoe die, right? Zoe fulfilled that part of the prophecy, her being slain by the hand of a parent. Uh, Atlas killed her. And, th th and that was super rough too, because, oh man, because we have Artemis there. Again, she's like, she's the goddess of the hunters and all that. So that, that was awful to have her have to go through that. Um, and then even Thalia having her beef with Zoe, but them kind of reconciling at the end. Um, uh, Zoe sort of looking, you know, and, and so then following off of that, like, you know, Thalia being like, you were right about, you know, all men or whatever, 
about about Luke and then her turning to Percy and being like, well, well maybe not all of them, you know, and like tells Percy that, that he's, you know, he's good. Um, so a lot of, a lot of really emotional things happening right after another right there. And then even just the fact of Artemis could have possibly tried to save her and Zoe like catching her wrist and, and stopping her and being like, nah, you know, um, and then even that being foreshadowed um, with her talking to her, her I, I'm pretty sure she had a conversation with Percy earlier and was talking about how like maybe like Annabeth would make a good lieutenant or something and Percy being like, but, but you're the lieutenant and, and her being like nothing lasts forever or something. Um, you know, so for now, like, she was clearly thinking about this for a while now, of like, maybe not dying <laughs> specifically, but at the very least, um, kind of hanging up the bone arrow and being like, I'm not, I'm done. You know, I've, I've done this for thousands of years at this point. Um, very sad stuff, really, really gut wrenching stuff in, in this. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see, where do we go from there? What are some other... There, there's lots of directions coming right off of that. Um, I guess we'll go Annabeth. Speaking of the hunters. Um, oh no, sorry. We'll, we'll go like the Annabeth-Thalia thing at the end where Thalia joins the hunt. And uh, I love that moment because Percy immediately senses danger. <laughs> you know, Artemis is talking to Zeus. Hushed over there and you can clearly tell that she's kind of talking about the ten or whatever and in percy's mind he's like oh no i know that annabeth was like you know considering joining the hunters um you know there was that brief conversation where it seemed like maybe that's who was going to be the next lieutenant because you know annabeth is annabeth and she, and she would deserve something like that um and so for him to be like no no annabeth don't and she's she has no idea what he's talking about and he's like fumbling over his words, trying to, uh, you know, trying to express how much he would not be able to handle if Annabeth joined the Hunters and basically he would never be able to see her again, um, at the very least see her again, at the very most not like be with her, you know. Um, and then for them to announce that Thali is it, the, the, the sigh of relief, <laughs> the wave of relief that washed over Percy um, is, is immense, you know. Um, you know, I feel like two very good things came out of that. One, obviously, not having Annabeth be ripped away from uh, Percy, Grover, the story. You know, because it's like, where would Annabeth's character really, I don't know, fit into the rest of it? Because they're not really active with all this stuff. Like, they are very separate from, like, that the whole Half-Blood side of this war. Um, something very bad, but then also Thalia joining the hunt, and again, um, you know, her being happy, uh, you know, you know, having a family again, her not being able to be tempted by Kronos anymore, because again, I mentioned the predicament they're in now, right, and how they've kind of gotten over it, uh, with which big three child is going to be the, the prophecy, Thalia obviously being there, being immortal, never turning 16 at this point, because she's immortal so like she does 
I mean, she's going to live longer, but she doesn't technically age anymore. But also, she was the one, not Percy, she was the one that was very clearly being tempted by Kronos in a way that Percy never really was. You know, like, I can't, like, even in the heat of the whole lightning thief thing with his mom being taken or whatever, um, I, I, I never got the feeling that Percy was like, you know what, maybe, maybe, I mean, at, at that point, Kronos wasn't really a thing, you know, like, he wasn't really part of the equation. I mean, he was, but not like, not like outwardly. Um, but Sally, on the other hand, was like, eh, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, and, and Kronos did a very good job of like, subtly and not so subtly trying to turn Thalia against the gods and Zeus especially right you know I mean even that big moment of their car being exploded by lightning and her immediately being like he would do this to me <laughs> you know just like a, a, you know very emotional guttural response and Percy being like come on that's that's, that's not Zeus Zeus wouldn't do that um, but again you know at that point Kronos is already kind of in her head whether she realizes it or not um, and just and just multiple moments where, you know, you, you can tell that Thalia did have, you know, like Thalia, Luke, and Annabeth, they did have conversations with each other. Um, you know, even have Luke at the end there trying to be like, you, you remember, you know, when... And so Thalia was definitely more susceptible to stuff like that than Percy was. Um, you know, so another good reason why she did this, it's like, there's a lot of good reasons, but this one is very crucial of like now he can't tempt me because it's impossible for me to be the the child in the prophecy um yeah and like i said annabeth also doesn't leave us which is great because <laughs> um, they're very clearly building up the whole annabeth and percy thing um anyone can see that um let's see where do we go now Speaking of the Annabeth and Percy thing, uh, just a small thing. I do like at the end where Athena practically uh, threatens Percy. <laughs> and it's like, you know, because she doesn't really like the whole like friendship between them because she still feels like Percy could be a threat. Um, very smart. Very just like, hey, wisdom sometimes isn't the popular opinion, you know. But she's right where it's like he is, you know, Dahlia's out. He's the only one. Again, Nico wasn't really known of yet. And so it's like, he's the only one, Percy, you know, he could make the right decision or he could make the wrong decision. It'd probably be smarter for all of us to just kill him, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and then also do love that moment where, where Percy realizes that, oh no, Athena is the worst one. <laughs> worse than Ares, worse than, you know, Mr. D, all these guys, like maybe even worse than Poseidon, you know, like we know that if, if you get, if, if I get on Athena's bad side, she will succeed in destroying me 100,000%. I would, I would rather have Ares as an enemy than Athena. Um, so I just like that, you know, that's, that's very cool for her to kind of like be protective over her daughter, but not in a way that seems too emotional because she is very smart and very clever and looks at things from a, from a very logical perspective. And again, on paper, having Percy not alive is probably the best bet just because like, well, he's he, with him alive. The prophecy could be fulfilled negatively. 
if he's not here, then 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 Kronos loses a very powerful tool, you know. Um, so, but that was cool. Um, I guess we can go to. Well, speaking of enemies, Percy's enemies, uh, Ares, still an enemy. Very unfortunate for Percy because Ares finally does a cash in. Now, not necessarily a one-time thing. I'm sure it's not a one-time thing, but he does finally cash in his promise of. One day, when you need it most, your sword will fail you. And it happens. When he is fighting Atlas, um, he feels very sluggish. Sword very heavy. Instincts are a bit slower. It's like, oh, this is Ares. Ares is messing with me. Very cool. (laughs) Love that for me. Uh, But again, that that just goes to show how much Ares hates him. And how much of an enemy he, he he truly has. Um, he still wins, you know, he's, he's still willing to get out of there, but there is panic and it does have him sort of scrambling for, okay, what do I do? Because most likely wasn't going to be able to beat Alice on my best day, <laughs> but now with Ares weighing me down, definitely can't beat him, you know? So again, just a small thing, but you know, I do like that, that rivalry is still happening and it's not forgotten. Um, and it does actually have consequences. It's not just Ares threatening him over and over and over again. It's like, oh no, I, I'm here and I am watching. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, what else do we have? Um, I guess we'll kind of just go through them now. Kind of got the meat, the meat and potatoes out of the way. Uh, Poseidon does confirm that Luke is alive crazy drop you know Thalia is the one who actually kicks him I don't think she intended to kick him off the cliff I think she you know because they you know the way it was written it was like Thalia had the spear over his chest or his neck or whatever uh Luke sort of reached out in desperation maybe just like grab it or kind of move it out the way or something and Thalia reacted and 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 kicked him uh off the cliff hundreds of feet possibly I don't I'm not really sure uh, still alive somehow. Now, there are a couple interesting things that come out of this that we will follow. Uh, one, Poseidon confirming he's alive. Just, he's alive. Okay. What does that mean, though? Like, how is he able to survive? Because, I mean, he is a half-blood. Doesn't automatically make you able to survive, though, you know? Because, like, Percy can fall, but if he falls in, like, the ocean... You know, it's not concrete for him the way it would be immortal, right? Like he's able to fall in, survive all that, all that good stuff. I don't understand how Luke is able to. Even Chiron's a little confused. Um, very special. You know, we uh, best guess is that Kronos is like very heavily favoring Luke. Kronos feels like Luke is his best bet when it comes to having a mortal or half blood, whatever. Uh, I don't know right-hand man sort of thing, you know, as opposed to someone like Atlas, who was a god, a titan, whatever, right, um, so, so Kronos must be giving him, like, extra special treatment, because he knows what Luke is capable of, and Luke, very, very capable, very clever, um, seems to be one step ahead all the time, so, um, clearly, (laughs) like, without a shadow of a doubt, hates the gods and wants to take them down, so, you know, 
pretty good guy to have on your on, on your team if you're Kronos. So that's, that's got to be what's happening. But it's crazy that he lived, you know. And the other part of it that is unfortunate, um, not surprising though, but really irritates Percy is that Annabeth, she's not really on his side, but the way she talks about him, it's not how he feels that she should talk about him. Like he feels that she still has feelings for him um, at at some level. We're not, we're not a hundred percent sure, you know, because she's like, Oh, I know he's alive. The same way that you knew I was alive, I know he's alive. And that hurts because Percy felt that way about her because of his very, uh, very specific intent feelings for Annabeth. So now he's trying to translate that from Annabeth to Luke. And he's like that. I don't like that. You know, partly probably just out of jealousy, you know, because of his own feelings for her. But then also like out of everything we've been through the number of times that Luke has tried to kill us the number of times that Luke has tried to interfere with our quests just what Luke is all about right now trying to overthrow the gods like we don't love the gods and that's one thing I think I mentioned last episode episode before where it's like I like that the half-bloods don't seem to just be the gods lackeys where it's like oh we, we love them we'll do anything for them you know, they, they still question the gods' decisions and they still butt heads with the gods and everything. So I, I like that, you know, again, kind of hearkening back to what what Chiron said, where he's like, half-bloods are kind of in the middle, you know? They don't, tw- they, they don't quite take down, um, you know, everything from the god side or everything from the mortal side, kind of in the middle. And, th- and that's why half-bloods are really the most important type of characters in the world, right? But all in all, <laughs> you know, all in all, it's like, how? You know, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, as much as Percy and Annabeth have been together and they've, they've been through whatever, it's like Luke and Thalia and Annabeth were group first, you know, and Annabeth, um, was very infatuated. So I think that that's a very, uh, super tough thing for her to get over. And I, and I don't think she ever will. Um, I think if it came down to it, and like, I, I don't know what situation this would ever be, but if she had to choose, you know, if like Percy and Luca were about to be killed and she could choose one to save, I think she would pick Percy. But even then, I don't think that's saying much because even that's saying, well, we have to be put in a life or death <laughs> situation. You know, I think, I don't know. The the end there, you could definitely tell it was getting to Percy. And I wonder if maybe next book even, we'll see them have a conversation, you know, like a, like just a, just a real blunt conversation about like, about Luke because there are times and I've mentioned this before about you know different topics with this series about like certain things I think would just be easier if they would just talk but again you have to remember they are their kids right they're all like like 14 or whatever but there are certain things just like man if they just talked it out like as adults even though they're not adults they might be able to understand each other and like communication and all that um you know because I'd really like to hear 
I mean, it's tough because again, they're kids. So I feel like Annabeth might might take offense to that sort of thing, even though I don't think Percy would mean it in an offensive way. But just like, why do you still, why do you still cape for him? You know, like I get your history and everything, but like after everything he's done to us, how could you still care for him? How could you still, you know? And then it's tough because even with this most recent event, Luke did sort of save her, like. He, he he doesn't get credit <laughs> because he was the one who tricked her into holding up this guy, but he did keep her from being killed and he did feel pained in a way of like, please don't make him do the other way. Just join me and this week can all be easy and not in an arrogant way, but more of a defeated way of like him, him like pleading, like, please just do this the way we want it to be done. It'll be so much easier. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it progresses. Um, yeah, I've got a few more, I think. Um, oh, yeah, one note was Kronos. Uh, we already kind of touched on this, but Kronos was clearly trying to frame Zeus to make Thalia upset and sort of turn Thalia to Kronos' side. Right, especially with the whole lightning bolt thing. And I, I only want to bring this up again because I think it's I think it's very important to notice how I don't want to say desperate, because I don't think that's quite the word, but this isn't just Kronos doing his thing and the demi and the, the half-bloods and also the gods i guess trying to stop them it is this is the prophecy like this is the linchpin to whoever wins this upcoming war neither side fully believes they can win this war unless the prophecy goes their way even with in this situation, right? Uh, forget Nico, forget Thalia. If Percy were to die, they would probably just butt heads forever, right? Like I don't know, they did butt heads until some other kid pops up or whatever. Like you know, you know, something else huge would have to happen. Um, neither side is super confident in winning without the prophecy happening. Um, they're both, I think, scared of what. Percy specifically can become and so I think it's funny that they both put so much attention to Percy um especially Kronos aside and again because it, it it doesn't feel just like oh well Percy on my side will definitely help no 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 it feels like he needs Percy to be on his side um needs him to be on his side to win um, and I think, again, desperation might be a little too strong of a word, but there is, there are hints of that on, on Kronos' side. Again, for him to go as far as doing everything he can to make Thalia change sides, right? Again, you know, I think at first glance it could seem as just like, oh, well, I'm Kronos, I'm evil, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to shake things up and try to, try to get as many pawns on my side as possible, but I think if you look further into it, it's less him gloating and him being arrogant and it's more him being like, I need this. 
you know, because at the end of the day, they're both both sides, right? Kronos, Zeus, let's just say, Kronos and Zeus, um, they're going to do everything they can to win, right? Because failure <laughs> means death, or not really death, but like, you know, the end. But the prophecy is what will really make them win and what will give them guaranteed victory. So um, as much as I think both sides like to kind of brush half-bloods out of the way and be like, yeah, they, they, they always meddle into stuff. They're always, you know, they always, kind of, they always kind of treat them like ants where it's like, yeah, I mean, they can affect stuff, but, you know, we're gods, we're titans, whatever. It's like they need them. You know, and again, hearkening back to conversation with Chiron, it's like half-bloods are very important. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, another interesting thing was Rachel Elizabeth Dare, a mortal who can see through the mist, helps out Percy, very vital. Great, great character, right? Um kind of introduces this idea that really already existed, but we didn't really think anything of it, was with Sally. Sally and Rachel, very similar, where they can both see through the mist. Um, I think Zoe kind of just says, ah, you know, you know, some mortals are like that. We can't really explain it. Um, you, know, you know, I wonder if there ever will be an explanation for that, because I think that that's interesting. Um, that mist just doesn't work on on some people i wonder if there is some sort of connection to that or if it is just luck of the draw you know one out of every million <laughs> or whatever you know you know mortals just don't just aren't affected at all by the mist um but yeah i, I, I just thought it was interesting that was a very jarring sequence because like oh the sword passed through or oh no and then her being like is that a sword you know and I'm like, wait wait hold on if you pass, sword passed through you, then you're mortal. But if you can see the sword, mist should be stopping you. You know, but then again, he thinks back to his mom and he's like, wait, my mom can also, you know, but I feel like we just kind of brush that off as, oh, well, he, you know, she's the parent and the ex to a god, right? She, you know, she's the parent to a uh, demigod and she is the... Uh, you know, X to an actual guy, maybe that just, like, opened her eyes or something, you know, uh, but no, no, no stranger can do it, too, so, again, I wonder if that'll ever come back into play, I feel like it has to, because I feel like it's such a strange thing to happen, just as, like, a real quick one-off thing, you know, so, we'll see there, and then the final thing I wanted to mention, final note I had, was Mr. D. Dionysus, I think is how you say his name. Mr. D, right? He's a character, and I think I've mentioned this multiple episodes, where he's a character I really want to like. He's a character that, you know, some spoilers, I guess, for Harry Potter or whatever, but um, at, at this point, come on. Um, Snape, right? He he reminds me of Snape so much, where Snape was always that character that was uh, just ruining Percy's day every chance he got, right? And you were just like, yeah, I, I hate Snape. 
I hate him so much. Why is he always against Harry? Um, you know, what, what, why is so much beef? You know, why, why, why is this? What is happening? And at the end, you realize that Snape, Snape actually cared about Percy more than anybody, it feels like. Um, it might be a little shaky on the level because it's been a while, but I know for a fact that, you know, you, you, you know, there is the big reveal that, oh no, Snape was actually doing the most for Harry behind the scenes. Um, and he just sort of, he acted the opposite. I, I, I still remember the, the explanation basically him, him like acting the opposite because, you know, because of that, because he was trying to help, but he couldn't show favoritism. So he instead went complete opposite, um, on the outside. And so Mr. D has always given me Snape vibes where it's like, I feel like Mr. D cares deep down, but every time he's given the opportunity to show, he never does. And it gets to the point where it's like, maybe Mr. D is just, maybe that is just his character. You know, maybe he is just the spiteful God who got thrown down here as a punishment and he hates it and he hates everyone. And he really is just trying to live out the sentence until he can be free again. You know, maybe, you know, maybe there's nothing more to it. There doesn't have to be anything more to it right? That can just be who he is. Um, very valid. But then in this moment, he cracks a little bit, a little bit. You know, Percy calls him on the iris. He's acting like whatever, as usual. He's like, who cares? I don't care. Um, and then he does say, you know, you can always ask for help. Percy doesn't want to. And then he, he finally does. He said, Mr. D, please help. And he does. He uh, makes everyone go crazy. He, like, squeezes Mr. Thorne into nothingness. You know, know, sends him to the underworld, I believe. Um, Does give him a little bit of useful information, but still ends it with, like, I'm not doing everything for you. You know, that sort of thing. Um, He does even call him by his real name. He, He does actually call him Percy Jackson instead of Peter Johnson or whatever, he you know, he usually does. Um, again, denies it, you know, Percy uh, points it out, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, that's the moment I've been waiting for with him, where it's like, I feel like he does care, you know, all this time, maybe in the beginning he didn't, um, but all this time, I mean, I don't know how long he's been here, but I imagine maybe hundreds of years, I don't know, um, I feel like it maybe wore him down a little bit, he, he does actually have somewhat of a soft spot for the kids that come through here, he doesn't completely disdain and resent his situation sure in the, the day i think he would probably wish to not be here and be a god again you know kind of doing whatever he wants but um i think this moment does prove that he does you know he, he does care a little bit um and so this was just a big moment for me where i'm like yes finally finally it shows that he cares and he's not just this like evil god or whatever um you know but yeah, that, I think, is everything. That's all my notes. Um, very excited for the next book, next week. Um, yeah, the end of a book is always exciting because it always leaves you on some cliffhangers. Gets the next one right, so the questions, uh, where is Grover planning to go? Right, we know initially had the plan of like going to New Mexico and drinking a bunch of coffee, which is funny, but I don't know if that's the right thing. Um, so I'm wondering where he's going to go. Um, and what happens, right? Like, does anything exciting happen on his journey? Are we going to hear from him at all in in the next book? 
Um, I can't imagine they're just going to repeat book two and be like, oh no, I'm go over. I need help. Like that would be very boring. Um, so I wonder what happens there. Um, do we hear it all from Thalia and her at the Hunters? Uh, what happens with Nico? Do we see Nico at all next book? And where is he? Right? Like, who is he with? Is he just alone? You know? Um, Annabeth. I don't really have any... Oh, yeah, she's going... She is going to try San Francisco. Um, that's got to be it, right? Like, we got to see some of that with Thalia. Not sure we'll see her. Um, but, like, everybody... You know, even Grover, I'm like, I'm not sure the pan thing will be any sort of spearhead for next book, but I feel like Annabeth at San Francisco where there's Titan magic, more monsters, all that stuff. And then the introduction of Nico at the end with him being a Hades kid and actively wanting Percy to be no more. I feel like those two things are going to combine somehow into what the next book will be. Um, you know, cause even Percy, it's like, we don't really get anything from Percy at the end. Like we know he's going to go, um, we know he's going to go back home, you know, until the summer, uh, but nothing real big there, I mean, we do want to mention, again, some very nice stuff, Sally and Paul, or Mr. Blowfish, as, as, as Percy calls him, um, they definitely seem to be, like, a thing, they've seen each other, and, you know, I, I do like the moment at the end where Sally's like, oh, and she kind of freaks out, <laughs> you know, because Percy calls her, and, you know, she, you know, she kind of tries to, she almost tries to, she, she like stumbles over her words a little bit, and Percy's just like, are you happy? Yeah? Okay, then I'm, I'm good, you know, and that's, I'm sure, a huge relief for her, um, and even that, like, we don't really get much from Percy, so I feel like those two things, in the Annabeth uh, situation and the Nico situation will probably combine into what next book will be, um, which is book four, uh, The Battle of the Labyrinth. Um, I don't really remember a whole lot about this one. I do remember the labyrinth vaguely. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm not really... No specifics. You know, like I said, past book two, specifics have just left my brain. <laughs> don't remember. Like, this book, didn't remember that the Atlas thing, the holding up the sky thing, didn't remember that was a thing, Haunters, didn't remember that, <laughs> you know, um, anything like that, so, uh, but yeah, it'll be good, oh, oh yeah, we're covering, uh, chapters 1 through 10, Rick, very, very good with just being, like, 20 chapters, <laughs> every book from that, like, the first book, I think, was 22, and then 2, 3, and 4 have been 20 so far, so we'll see if book 5 sticks with that, so, um, again, chapters 1 through 10 we'll cover, and, uh, yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens with this one, um, that is it, I suppose, let me know what you thought of that book, anything big that I missed, uh, your favorite parts, all that stuff, predictions for the next part, as well as the next book, um, I guess that's probably it, probably it, so until next time, read the, read the chapters, gonna see what the labyrinth is all about, you know, Grover with Pan, Annabeth San Francisco, Nico being with Hades, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, that is it.